Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Hey, Celebration, I hope you're having a great Sunday today. I am actually in Zimbabwe today, speaking at our Celebration Zimbabwe location. You know, Celebration Church Zim is a really growing, thriving church. We have over 2,000 people that attend our Celebration Zimbabwe location. And of course, we have many, many outreaches in Zim as well. Many of you know that we feed over 20,000 kids Monday through Friday uh, through our Celebration Zimbabwe location. So I wanna thank all of you for your generous giving because some of our giving goes over to Zim to help support that church and to help support that outreach. And so, hey, I'm having a great time over here in Zim. I know you guys are having a great time back in Jacksonville at all of our locations. And so listen, we are heading towards the serve day on July 11th. Make sure that you sign up today. I can't wait to get back. And we are gonna have an incredible weekend as we impact our city and community. So God bless, I'll see you soon. Welcome in all of our campuses and everyone joining us via church online and even sometime in the future on podcast. You're dialing in and receiving this message. Man, we're so glad that you're joining us today. It's my pleasure to introduce to you our, our speaker today. Pastor Stovall is an incredible leader. And I, I say that with a little bit of bias. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm on his team. You know what I'm saying? He, he gives me opportunities to lead. Uh, he loves to develop us as leaders, as pastors on, on the staff and on the team. And uh, he is a stable of, of communicators that he's giving the opportunity to preach throughout this summer. I had the chance a couple weeks ago, and you're about to hear from him, one of our incredible team members, uh, Pastor Keith Pittman. He oversees all of our next-gen ministries. That's everything from birth all the way through 30 years old. Pastor Keith is a big part of shaping the next generation here at Celebration Church. So yeah, come on, church. Would you stand to your feet, put your hands together, and help me welcome Pastor Keith Pittman. All right, all right, all right. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We didn't, well, don't sit down just yet. Don't sit down just yet. Because I, as humble as I am with that introduction, I think that we could only do a little bit better if we're talking about putting our hands together for the true guest of honor. Can we put our hands together for Jesus in here today? Okay. All right, all right. So here's my, here's my thought. I do, I will be honest with you guys, I do judge claps a little bit, and I felt like for Jesus, that was probably about a B, B minus a little bit. So we're gonna, we're gonna do that again because I think he's worthy. Okay, we're gonna put our hands together for Jesus in here today. There we go, there we go, there we go. Thank you, thank you. All right, man, you guys can go ahead and, and take your seats. You can take your seats and, and get comfortable, relax. We're gonna have a, a good time in the house of God. It's truly uh, an honor to, to be up here. I, I would. I, I, I'm almost speechless at the opportunity that, that God has given me to be able to, to speak to you guys today. Um, I'm reminded of about seven and a half years ago um, when I started coming to Celebration Church. I moved to Jacksonville about nine years ago with my family. And about seven and a half years ago, I remember walking into the, the back doors of the church when we were at our other location. And I was greeted by, by greeters. I was greeted in the parking lot. I had these different experiences with people that were serving. But as I sat in the sanctuary and I, I began to listen to the word of God as it was being taught by Pastor Stovall, I, I felt something inside of my spirit connect and tell me that this was home. Um, since that time, I continued to serve and get involved and I slowly um, got more and more involved and I ended up leaving my career and walking into my calling. But as I began to do that a little bit more, I've, I've gotten closer to Pastor Stovall and Pastor Kerry. I've gotten um, to, to hang out with them quite a bit. 
And, and what I can tell you guys that I'm so humbled and honored to say that the, 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 the impression that I had of them seven and a half years ago with seeing them on stage managing ministry, and now that I'm close up to them, I can tell you that the thing that you see on stage is exactly how they are behind closed doors. They are the most authentic, genuine people that I've ever had an opportunity to be around, and all they do is have a heart for God's people and for God's church. So can we put our hands together for our incredible lead pastors, Pastor Stovall and Pastor Kerry. I love you guys. Thank you guys so much for this incredible opportunity. I would also be remiss if I didn't talk about my beautiful wife. I got, I got to talk about my beautiful wife because I am getting points, and I'm going home with her later on tonight. So I got to get my points for my, my beautiful wife. Yes, I did indeed marry my, my high school sweetheart. Now, we were in class together. We went to high school together. Um, and she sat across from me, and she would always borrow my homework. She would always copy off of me. I was a genius back then, so she always would copy off of me. Um, and, and, and if you were to talk to her, she would have a different version of the story. But as far as I'm concerned, I got the microphone. I'm on the stage. This is my truth. So this is my truth. She would copy off of me, and so she hunted me down after we finally graduated high school, and she finally beat me into submission, and I agreed to marry her. So, honey, I love you, you're beautiful, and, and you won, you got it. <laughs> you got it. Um, we do have three in, incredible children. I have Keith Jr., he's around here a lot, you may see him rapping on stage, and um, he's, he's much taller than me, so because he's grown in height, I felt that it was necessary for me to grow in width. Um, <laughs> Just to balance it out a little bit, I didn't want him to, I didn't want him to like, feel that he could tower over me. I still had to let him know I could throw him around if I needed to. So, um, so that's my son, Keith Jr. He's 21. He just graduated from, from Jacksonville University. And I know when you look at me, you're like, man, you have a 21-year-old son that just graduated from, from college. Like, look at you. You look like you're about 24 yourself. Um, you're right. You're right. Uh, and so I just want to address the elephant in the room. So there's, there's a couple of things. First of all, I feel like I'm in my glorified body. So yes, I do believe that I stopped aging. But then, but then the second thing is this, and, and here's the most important thing. This is what's important for you guys to know. I know that I look a lot younger, but here's the second piece of that ingredient, and that's called black don't crack. So, um, so, so yeah, um, so that's, that would be me. That would be me. That's, that's who I am. Um, and so, um, so Keith Jr., yes, he's my, he's my, my legacy. He's carrying on my name. Um, I have my beautiful daughter, Danira. She's 18. She just graduated high school, and she's about to go off to college. So we're in a season of transition and freeing up the house and thanking the Lord for that. Um, so we have that. And then we also have our, our youngest, our son, Caleb, my 11-year-old son, Caleb. And like most of the youngest ones in the family, he's, he's eccentric. He's very unique, he's, 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 he has a very dominant personality, he's very spoiled, um, and, but he's, he's definitely, he's definitely my, my right-hand man. Like, we'll, we'll sit up, we'll watch cartoons together, that's my, that's my, that's like my little, my little ride or die homeboy right there. In, in fact, I, I remember just a couple of, just a couple of months ago, um, I took him to, I took him to the doctor for a checkup. Just a regular, typical, standard checkup, making sure all the things are working according to plan. So while we go into these things, you ever have those moments where you have to talk to your kids and be like, okay, we're about to be around people, so I need you to kind of shift the way that you typically act because now we have witnesses. Um, so I had that talk with him. I'm like, hey, man, we pulled up. I'm like, look, all right, listen, I, I love you, dude, but just, just, just tone it down a little bit, all right? He's like, all right, Dad, I got you. So we go in the back, and we're in the, we're in the, we're in the room with the doctor. The doctor comes in, and he starts talking with us a little bit, and you know how they are trying to get to know the kid a little bit. And so I was like, hey, man, tell me about some of the activities that you're involved in. So as Caleb's talking to him, he's talking to him a little about him being into Taekwondo. So the doctor perked up, he said, well, my, my son is in Taekwondo, he's about the same age as you, um, what, what belt are you? And so Caleb begins to talk to him about the belt, then he says, well, who's his instructor? So we tell him, and the doctor's like, oh, yeah, my son used to go to that instructor, but we found out he wasn't as good, so we started going to another instructor. So now the doctor is starting to throw a little bit of shade, 
Now, and Ebonic, that means he's basically starting to cast a little bit of hate on what we got going on in my situation. So I'm looking at the doctor saying, like, man, I don't even know why we got to compare instructors. I don't think that's necessary. But if that makes you feel better about yourself, man, go for it. So he, he's, he's, he's up there, and, he, and he's talking about the instructor that his son, my son's instructor, he does things this way, and my son's instructor, he does things that way. In fact, let me, let me test you real quick, Caleb, and see if you really are taking in the teachings that you're supposed to. So he wants to do a live action demonstration to see if Caleb is really being taught according to, I guess, the Taekwondo discipleship plan. <laughs> so here we are. He, you know, I'm sitting in a seat, my son Caleb stands up, and he walks up and he puts his hands around my son's neck. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I'm still here, so you know it didn't go too bad. But so he, he put his hands around my son's neck. And so he has his hands around my son's neck, and I'm looking at Caleb. Caleb looks at me, and I'm about to stand up. I'm about to stretch it out and see what we got to do. But he's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's not a lot of pressure. I'm like, okay, I'm a pastor, and I have no problem with laying hands on you. So, so anyway, um, um, so anyway um, he has his hands around my son's throat. And so he's not applying any pressure, but he just has his hands around his throat. And so Caleb looks at me. I look at him, and the doctor's like, yeah, man, just, just do the technique that you were taught in order to get out of this chokehold. So I guess the doctor had expected my son to do this maneuver that was typically like you raise your hands up and you block it and all that type of stuff. It's this, it's this method that they're, that's expected in Taekwondo. But true to Caleb Joshua Pittman fashion, he, he, had, a, he had a different methodology that he wanted to employ in that moment. He, he had a different philosophy, he had a different approach, and it wasn't necessarily written in any Taekwondo books, but it's nonetheless effective. And what he did is, he grabbed a hold of the doctor's wrist. So now the doctor's looking, he's a little confused, because that's not what he's supposed to do, and he somehow leverages his weight. And then as I look at Caleb, he looks at me, and everything seemed as if it went slow motion, Matrix style, because I was like, I saw the look in his eyes, and I knew where he was going with him, like, no, but it was, it was too late, he was like, no, no, don't do it. But it was too late, it was too late. My son had already began his frontal assault with kicking the doctor in the sensitive region that I don't even want to talk about right now. I don't want to talk about it. I feel, I feel horrible about the whole situation, but I can tell you that that day, the doctor did kneel a knee to Christ. Um, so he, 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 did, um, he did kneel a knee to Christ right there in that moment. He absolutely did, it's, 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 undoubtedly he did. So, but I, can I be honest with you guys? I was a little happy with my son's response. <laughs> He's probably watching online, son, don't do that when you go to school. But I was a little happy at my son's response because what I recognized was there was this guy who placed his hands around my son's neck in an effort to get him to respond, but he didn't quite expect that type of reaction. He didn't expect him to become the overcomer because he saw him as the underdog. What I, what I believe in a lot of cases in our lives, I, I truly believe that there's instances in our life where we have situations that begin to close in on us. We have circumstances that begin to wrap their hands around our throats of our, of our finances, maybe of our marriage, and, and, and the idea is that maybe we're gonna tap out, maybe we're gonna try to just break the block, but, but I believe that God has given us the ability to get him involved where not only do we get out of the block, but we actually are able to make that situation surrender to the greatness of the God that's inside of us. I truly, I truly believe that. And, and, and I believe that there's a, an incredible story, I believe there's an incredible narrative in Scripture that does a great job at highlighting the very thing that I'm talking about. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. The Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. 
While you're turning there, I'm gonna actually really quickly refer to another passage of scripture, and if you don't have your Bibles with you, that's quite okay, it'll come up on the screens, but I'm gonna actually turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I'm really quick, and then we're gonna jump into John 11, that's where we're gonna spend the bulk of our time. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, it says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now we're gonna jump over to the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter, um, and we're gonna read two passages in there. Here, here's what it says. It says in verse one, it says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. The two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God could be glor receive glory from this. So although, this is important, so although Jesus loved Martha, although Jesus loved Mary, although Jesus loved Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two days. Last verse. And then we're going to skip down a little bit and get to verse 14, and it says this. Then Jesus said plainly to them, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. We, we, we find in the beginning of the passage, Jesus said, man, this sickness is not going to end in death. Man, it's all good. But then he tells his disciples, Lazarus is dead. T today I want to talk to you about the conflict that we often have in our own lives when the word of God is not matching up with our current circumstance. When the word of God just doesn't seem to cooperate with where our life is. I've entitled this message, It's Not Over. It's Not Over. And if you are ebonically enhanced, it's, it ain't over. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you so much, God, for your, um, for your spirit. I thank you for what you're gonna do in this environment, Lord. God, I pray for open eyes that we can see you, even in areas where maybe we've lost sight. God, I pray for open ears that we can hear you in places that maybe we've grown numb to your voice. And Lord, I pray for open hearts that we can receive you in places where maybe there's calluses and, and frustration and pain. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. It's, it's not over. You know, when I, when I look at this, this, this narrative, when I look at this story, when I look at this passage of Scripture, I'm amazed at how it opens up. It says that a man named Lazarus is sick. It then goes on to tell us that this is the Lazarus who has a great relationship with Jesus. This wasn't a guy that, that was an outsider. This wasn't a guy who never knew Jesus. But the Bible says that Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. It then even goes on to refer to his sister Mary. It said this is the Mary who, who worshipped at Jesus' feet. We also understand that Martha is the very same Mary or Martha who came into the environment and served while Jesus was there. So we're talking about people who have a great relationship with Jesus. We're talking about people who serve him. We're talking about people who worship him. And yet they find themselves in a situation where their brother, their loved one is sick and dying and they sent a message to Jesus and he's not there. We're not talking about outsiders. We're talking about people who are walking with God. We're talking about people who are walking in fellowship with Jesus. Have you ever been in a situation where you found yourself looking at your dilemma and you're saying to yourself, God, it's, it's me. I'm, I'm a follower of you. I, I didn't do any sin to necessarily find myself in this position. God, I didn't make any overt mistakes, Lord, but it, this is me. I, I serve you every week. I, I worship every week. God, I pay my tithes. Why am I in this dilemma? What, what do you do when there's nothing else you can do? What is your response when Jesus hasn't responded? How do you react when Jesus refuses to react? The Bible tells us that Jesus had heard about this instance, but he stayed where he was for two more days. 
He just stayed where he was. And he said, it's not going to end in death, but I'm just going to chill out. Jesus' response was to, to just chill. How, how do you react to that when you have friends and family that are saying, well, you're a Christian, right? Why, why are you dealing with that? Won't you just go ahead and pray to your God and get this whole thing taken care of? Have you ever felt that you were being mocked because you're believing in something, but you haven't seen the evidence of it working itself out in your life just yet? We, we find Mary and Martha and Lazarus in this situation because Lazarus is laying on his deathbed saying, man, can you just get a hold of Jesus? I've seen him heal others. I've seen him resurrect. I've seen him do some incredible things. So I know that it's not outside of his scope of capability. I just need him to get into this environment. In fact, he could just send his word. He could just pray to God wherever he is. This is a small thing in his sight, but nonetheless, I still find myself at a place where I'm about to flatline. You know, I'm not, I'll, I have a, a, a small confession to make. I am, I am not the best cook. In fact, I'm not a good cook at all. My wife would be like, amen. I'm not, I'm not that good of a cook, okay? I, I do the best that I can. And, and, and to be honest with you, I consider my limited cooking abilities to be at a little bit of a fault of my wife. Not, I don't want to put all the blame on her, but just a little bit because here's why, here's why. Every time I say, hey, honey, this is a great dish. I want to learn how to be a fisher of men. I want to learn how to take care of my family. Can you teach me how to cook? It is inevitable as I'm sitting there watching her perform this ritual of cooking. She's like, okay, you put a little bit of pepper. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. A little bit is not a unit of measure that really calculates to me. Can you tell me exactly how much pepper do you need? She's like, just put a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and somehow it all works itself out. And I'm like, I need you to give me something precise. Just tell me exactly what I need to put in. But she's like, you just got to feel it. Well, that doesn't work well for a guy like me. I, just, I like to read the instructions, and I'm very broken down that way. So when I think about my inability to cook and how much I still want to try to take care of my family, I found that the best thing that I could do is use the crock pot. Crock pots are by far the best thing. It's God's gift to men who can't cook in Jesus' name. It really is. Because all you got to do is you, you get your base meat or whatever, you throw all these random ingredients in there, and somehow you just let time go, let the heat kick up, it creates a great smell, and somehow it turns out perfect. I mean, it's random ingredients that seem like they have anything to do with each other, but nonetheless, you put them in this crock pot, you put the lid on it, you let it kind of percolate for a while, and all of a sudden, it's like you're Emerald Lagasse. I mean, it, it really is like you're the best thing ever. It's all about the crock pot, though. It's, it's not going to be a quick fix. It's about the crock pot. And what I know about the God that we serve, he has the ability to use random ingredients that is going on in our life. He has the ability to use our brokenness as well as our success. He has the ability to use our failures but also our faith. And he can put it in the crock pot of grace and somehow allow the heat of his presence to work all things together for the good of those who love him or who are called according to his purpose. But, but here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned because of the society that we live in. We often grow impatient with the crockpot process. We want, we want microwave solutions for crockpot problems. We want, to, we want to quickly get to the end, but we forget the fact that it takes some time for it all to marinate. So what do you do when you're waiting for Jesus to move in the midst of your situation? Understand that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. What do you do when you've sent out a prayer to Jesus and he hasn't responded yet? You continue to stand according to Ephesians 6. I will stand knowing that God is going to work all this together for the good. I will stand knowing that all these ingredients of brokenness and pain, God is able to use it to glorify him. You continue to stand. You continue to allow your faith to be the heat that's going to continue to allow that crock pot to create an aroma that's going to draw people closer to Jesus. See, see, Mary and Martha found themselves at a place where they were waiting on Jesus. And so now the Bible tells us that as Jesus begins to make his journey into Bethany where they were, he finally arrives. He doesn't go into Bethany, but he, he gets close to Bethany. And what the Bible tells us is that Martha hears about it. 
Now, Martha is symbolic of the person who serves Jesus. So she hears that Jesus is on the edge of Bethany where they lived at, and she runs up to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you just would have been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. I want, you, I, I want to break down the weight of what she was saying. Because, yeah, that's, that's powerful when there's a lot of emotion in it, but I, I want to give you the cultural context. See, when, when you were a, a Jewish woman back in those days, if you didn't have a covering, if you didn't have a man, if you didn't have a person who would negotiate on your behalf, you didn't really have a successful life. That's why there was so much weight in making sure that you had a, a kinsman redeemer, as we see with Ruth. You needed to have someone that would negotiate on your behalf. You needed to have someone that would be able to go into the marketplace and that would actually even marry you off into a family. So when she said, Lord, if you just would have been here, my brother wouldn't be dead, understand that connected to her brother was her covering because there's no mention of her father. Connected to her brother was her hope. Connected to her brother was her future. Connected to her brother was the opportunity for her to live a life that was outside of the situations and struggle that she was currently in. So when she said, Lord, if you just would have been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. She was saying, Lord, if you just would have been here, my hopes wouldn't be dead. Lord, if you just wouldn't, if you just would have been here, I would probably have a better opportunity of getting married and, and, and moving into a successful family. Lord, if you just would have been here, my situation wouldn't be as dire as it is. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you had to serve Jesus a delinquent notice? Have you, have you ever, like, called heaven and said, Hey, hey, Jesus, um, hey, this is me down here on earth. Um, I'm in the middle of this, and I just want to let you know you're running late. When can we expect payment? Um, I'm just wondering, like, you're, you're in the red at this point. You're, you're in the red. You're in the negative at this point, Jesus. I need you to move in the midst of this situation. You know, the good thing about Jesus is that he's never late because he's the walking grace period. So no matter where he goes, he's on time. The Bible tells us that she says, Lord, if you just would have been here, and Jesus immediately shifts her focus from her situation to who he is. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Jesus loves the fact that you're coming to him because of your pain, but he wants to make sure that you understand that your pain is not elevated above who he is. He says to her, he says, yes, I understand that you're coming to me because you're in the midst of pain and despair, but don't, don't forget to recognize who I am. I am the resurrection. You're dealing with death? Well, guess what? I am the architect of life. Don't focus so much on your pain when you're standing in front of your solution. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You know, I've, I've, I've found that we get hit with those instances, it can deflate us. It can, it can really suck the air from our lungs. You know, recently I was watching Star Wars getting prepared for the, the new Star Wars to come out. This is one of the things that I like to do with my son. And, and, and now that I'm older and I was watching it, I, I, I found that it was interesting because when I was growing up, my favorite character was Darth Vader without a shadow of a doubt. Now that I understand that he was evil, I'm like, oh man, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I felt conflicted. I felt like I should pray about it. But nonetheless, I still liked, I still liked his character. And the thing that I love as I began to watch the narrative of Darth Vader is that no matter what was going on in his life, he still had the same breathing pattern. The force is strong with you, young Skywalker. He could be in the middle of a fight. It was always the same. It's like, man, if he was even doing cardio, it would just be like, it was, it was never a deal for him. It was always the same. He didn't get excited. He didn't get hyped. It was just always the same breathing pattern. What I want to let you know is that your deliverance is easy as breathing for Jesus. He has the ability to inhale your pollution but exhale solutions. You say to yourself, God, I'm dealing with pain. He's like, be healed. You say, Lord, I'm dealing with brokenness. He says, be mended. I want to let you know that there's not one situation that you're facing that Jesus cannot inhale it, convert it to life, and exhale it back onto you, and you walk away with healing, deliverance, and victory. It's easy as breathing for Jesus. 
Jesus refocuses the attention from her, her dilemma and makes it more about who he is. It's not your dilemma, it's your deliverer. So then he says, go back and get your, Siri. Go back and get your sister Mary. Let her know where I'm at. So she goes back and gets Mary, and Mary comes to Jesus, and she says, Lord, if you just would have been here, my brother, my brother wouldn't be dead. She echoes the exact same sentiments that her sister earlier had stated. Jesus had a different response. He, he looks at her and he says, where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? He was already in the tomb. He had been there for four days. He had began to decompose at this point. He had already gone past rigor mortis. But, but God said, where have you laid him? I believe that, that today, I, I really believe in my heart that, that God is speaking to someone in here today and he's asking you, where have you laid the dreams and hopes and things that you've given up on? Where, where have you laid your pain and brokenness and the things that you feel that God can no longer touch or retrieve? God says, where have you laid it? Lord wants to know, are you willing to take him down the boulevard of your pain and be the tour God of your brokenness? God wants to know, are you willing to say, Lord, it, it hurts here. I gave up on my marriage because of this, and, and I've buried it. Lord, I've given up on my child because they've done so many things. They find themselves in legal issues, and, and I've buried it. But God wants to know, are you willing to show him where it hurts? A few, a few years ago, I messed my shoulder up, and I dealt with the pain for well over a year. I just dealt with it. But then I finally realized there was no way for me to function that way, so I finally went to a physical therapist. And I gotta tell you, it was uncomfortable, but I continued to build myself up. I continued to get stronger, but I first had to learn how to engage the pain. A lot of times we bury things that we don't wanna deal with, but in, in actuality it makes us a little bit weaker. God wants to know, are you willing to show him where it hurts so that the great physician can resurrect and restore whatever brokenness that is going on on the inside of you? After, after, after Jesus has this encounter with, with, with Mary, she says, okay, well, let me show you where he's at. They go, to the, the, they go to where the tomb is. But the Bible says that Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Everybody knows it. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And we're like, wow, like Jesus wept. Now, there's a lot of theological implications with that, and I won't get into that. But what I will tell you is that the whole purpose of that is to let us know that Jesus feels you. Jesus, Jesus understands where you're coming from. A lot of times we feel that God is so far removed from our pain, that he's so far removed from our brokenness, that he's so far removed from our struggle, that we think that Jesus can't really feel what we're going through. But Hebrews, the fourth chapter, tells us that we do not serve a high priest that is removed from our brokenness. He has been tested at every limitation that we have been tested at, but without sin. That means that he understands every struggle, every pain. He understands what it feels like to be rejected. He understands what it feels like to be hated. He, feels what, he knows what it feels like to be isolated, to be misunderstood. He understands all your pain and brokenness. You know, the Bible tells us a story about a woman with the issue of blood. She had the issue for 12 years, and in the Bible, 12 means governance. It means ruling, which means that the issue that she had literally, grew, had literally governed her life. It literally controlled her. It was a part of her identity. In fact, the brokenness that she had was something that said that she was prohibited from going into the presence of God. But what the Bible says is that she understood that if she could just get to Jesus and touch him, she knew that, she, that he would be able to feel her pain. She presses through the crowd, she presses through the, the persecution, she presses through the ridicule, and she touches Jesus, and she is made whole, and her identity is radically shifted because Jesus could feel her. You may be thinking to yourself, man, I don't even know if church is the right place for me because if my neighbor knew exactly what was going on in my life, if my neighbor really knew what I struggled with, they wouldn't want to sit next to me. But can I let you know that Jesus knows exactly where you are. He can feel your pain, and he doesn't want you to let your dilemma to distance you from the divineness of God. He doesn't want you to find yourself in a position where you remove yourself from the grace of God. So, so now they're standing outside the tomb. And interestingly enough, Jesus is standing there, and he says, remove the stone. Remove, remove, the, remove the gravestone. 
understand that, that Lazarus has been inside the cave, the tomb, for four days. It stinks now. And, and so the sisters say to him, Lord, like, he, he's decomposed, he stinks, like, I thought you were gonna come here more, maybe speak a blessing over us, give us comfort, like, removing the stone's not a good look, Jesus, it's gonna really be a bad situation. But Jesus is like, no, re remove the stone. I want you to remove the barriers, I want you to remove the barricade. What we understand about this whole situation is that Jesus knew that he was about to speak a word of God. He knew that he was about to speak to Lazarus. He knew that he was about to speak a word that could radically change the situation, but before he did that, he said, we need to remove the stone. Because if Jesus would have spoke the word with the present situation, who knows if that stone would have muffled out the voice of Jesus and maybe Lazarus didn't get the message. It's important for us to understand that when we come to church and when we worship, that those are the processes of us removing the stone so that God can speak to us so we know how to respond to it in that moment. I, I wanna talk to you really quick about Serve Day on July 11th. You see, Lazarus was inside the tomb. Lazarus was locked up inside. He wasn't responsible for removing his own stone. At this point, he's dead, he's mummified, but nonetheless, Jesus had given instructions to the people that was following him to remove the stone. Church, I wanna let you know that we are followers of Jesus, and we follow Jesus into the places of pain because he's called us to help us to remove the stone so that people can hear from him and they can respond to the voice of God. We are called to remove stones. So on July 11th, what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be going off into the community in Jacksonville, and we're gonna be removing stones so that people can hear the voice of God and respond. Understand it's not our responsibility to bring life to their situation. It's not our responsibility to drag them out of the tomb. It's simply our responsibility to remove the stones, to remove the barricades, to remove the lack of acceptance, to remove the barriers of judgment, to remove the pain that they're dealing with. Simply remove the stone so that they can hear from God. So we made it super simple for you to get involved in this. We made it super simple, on the slide behind me, you're gonna see that you can just text your name and your email address to the number. All you need to do is text your name and your email address to that number. What you're gonna do is you're gonna get a quick response and that response is gonna give you the opportunity to select one of three options on where you wanna serve and one of our coordinators are gonna get in contact with you. God has called us to remove the stones that are keeping people from hearing from him. At the end of this service, you're gonna have an opportunity to go out and get your T-shirt, as Pastor John was talking about, but do not leave this place without exercising your ability to help others to experience Jesus the same way that you did, because someone did something for you that removed the stone so that you can have a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. We can clap for that. Come on, we can clap it up for that. So this is, where, this is where the story gets really, really powerful. This is where I, I love it. The Bible tells us that after they remove the stone, that Jesus standing there, he, he plants his feet and he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. I, I, need you to, I need you to process what's going on with this moment because Jesus has so much power that if he didn't say the name Lazarus, every dead thing would have stood up. But he said, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Can I let you know that Jesus knows your name? He knows exactly who you are. He knows who identify you according to your identity. He said, Lazarus, come out. The fascinating thing is I can imagine for Lazarus, he was probably pretty content with his condition. You know, we, we find that he was dead for four days. So I can imagine that as Lazarus was on his deathbed saying to himself, is Jesus ever gonna show up? Man, no Jesus, no Jesus. Then he finally succumbs and slips into death. 
I imagine on the first day after death, he's, he's sitting down in Abraham's bosom because Jesus hadn't ascended to heaven yet, so he's kind of sitting around trying to get acclimated to the environment, asking some of the other people that have gone before him to explain, yo, man, who's that? Oh, that's Elijah. Okay, what's up, man? And prophet of fire, man, I love your work. Um, so he, he's talking to varying people down in Abraham's bosom, and he's trying to get acclimated to what's going on. Oh, Moses, man, man, I love your Ten Commandments, man, your faith, man. Just talking to people down there. First day, second day, third day, man, he's probably really comfortable, really content, probably got his own little small group down there now. Like everything is going really well for Lazarus at this point. He's gotten really comfortable with his condition at this point. He gets to the fourth day, man, and he's really good, man. He probably got plans to go out later on the next night. Who knows? But he's really good with the place that he's at. But then imagine, four days into his death, four days into him being comfortable, cooled out, relaxed where he was, he hears his name, Lazarus, come out. You have to understand that it wasn't like just Jesus speaking through where he was and going into the cave, but the word of God was going through the cave, penetrating the annals of death, grabbing a hold of Lazarus' spirit and bringing it and planting it back into his body. It wasn't as simple as just Lazarus get up, but it was Lazarus being comfortable where he was and the word of God literally pulling him and planting him back into his body. Lazarus, who was, who was that? That's Jesus. Jesus is calling you. Man, I'm, I'm content with where I'm at. I'm comfortable with where I'm at now. I'm good, man. I got used to where I'm at now. Why is Jesus calling me out now? Why does Jesus want me to stand up now? I'm really content with where I am. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I went to a matinee with my son, and as we walked out from the matinee, it was a great movie, we walked out into the light. And the biggest thing about when you go to a matinee is that it's hard to sometimes adjust from the darkness that's inside to the light. It's like, oh, bright light, like gremlin. Like, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you, you just see the bright light, and it can be very uncomfortable uncomfortable to the point that you're more comfortable in darkness than you are in the light. You can get to a point where the darkness has gotten to be such a part of your natural flow that you're more content with that, so your deliverance can often be more scary than your bondage. I've learned how to function with this. I've learned how to get used to this. I've, got, I've gotten used to being broken. I've gotten used to being where I'm at, but the mere idea that I'm being called out, that's a whole new, new for me. I've seen cases where prisoners have been afraid to get set free because they haven't learned how to function outside of the restrictions of the system. So when Lazarus is being called out, understand that he's walking through some significant, significant things at this point. He's walking through some things that he's like, okay, but, but God is calling me out. I've got to respond. And so what the Bible tells us is that Lazarus gets up. Now, I need you to grasp this because Lazarus at this point has been mummified. He's been wrapped up from head to toe. That's how they used to contain the smell when you died back in those days. So I, I, I like to think of Lazarus not just getting out and walking up like, hey, guys, I'm here. But it was really a process of him learning how to maneuver himself even while he was restricted, even while he was completely in bondage. He had to get up while he was still tied up, but he was responding to the voice of God. And I can imagine Lazarus maneuvering through the cave. It's not like it was the average height, so he had to be bent over. This is my Lazarus walk. <laughs> Lazarus was walking out, <laughs> trying, to, trying to work his way out, and he's bumping his head, and he comes out, and then he sees the light off into the corner, and he's still working his way through it and stumbling, but, but nonetheless, he's still tied up. He's, he's, he's stumbling, almost falls down. He can't catch himself, but he's still working his way through it. He finally emerges, and he stands out, and he can't see because he's completely tied up, and Jesus sees him in his condition, and Jesus speaks to the same people that removed the stones, and his response was, remove the grave clothes. Remove the grave clothes. I believe that Jesus is speaking to some of us today and saying, okay, I've, I've called you out of the darkness that you're in. I've called you out of the condition that you're in. But if I were to evaluate your wardrobe, you're wearing some things that you should have let go of a long time ago. Jesus is saying it's time for you to stop wearing the grave clothes of your past and start walking in the freedom that I've established for you. 
He said, remove the grave clothes. A lot of times we're looking at our lives and we see that we've been resurrected, we see that we've been restored, but the reality is we're not taking strides the way that it looks like, and a lot of times it's because we're still bound to old dead philosophies that are keeping us restricted. Maybe Jesus is telling us it's time to remove the grave clothes of broken relationships, remove the, the grave clothes of, of unforgiveness. Jesus is equipping us and he's encouraging you to remove the grave clothes that are keeping you from moving in the freedom that his death, burial, and resurrection was meant to give us. I wanna, I wanna close with this thought. The Bible tells us in the book of Job, the 14th chapter, it says that there is hope for a tree that if it is cut down, that it will sprout again and shoot out tender shoots that will not cease. Though the root may grow old in the earth and the stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and produce life. There is hope, there is hope for a tree. There is hope for a tree that though it may be cut down, though it may be dead, at the scent, at the scent of water, just at the mere idea at the scent of water, it will produce life. It will be resurrected. It will be restored. Um, I'm a night owl. I don't really sleep that well. It's really, it's really weird. So what I typically do at night, I would love to say, like, man, I, I go into the presence of the Lord, but I typically just try to see what I can find on television, <laughs> just being honest with you. And so as I was scrolling through the television a couple of nights ago, I came across old episodes of Popeye. I did, I did. And you know, I was a young man when I used to watch Popeye, so watching it now has a whole different connotation to it. But as I'm sitting there watching Popeye the Sailor Man, I, I, I watched this episode where he was tied to a rail. And while he was tied to the rail, he just couldn't get free. He was literally tied down by this rail, and as he was tied there, he couldn't open up the can. But all he could do was smell the aroma of the spinach. That's all he could do, he could just smell the aroma of the spinach. He couldn't actually eat it, he couldn't taste it, he couldn't touch it, but he could smell it. He could smell the spinach, and it was enough, it was enough to allow him to get free and to be victorious in that battle. Just at the scent, just at the scent of spinach, that's all he needed. He didn't have to taste it, all he had to do was just smell it. But as I was looking at this show, as I was looking at it and I began to get philosophical about it, I'm like, man, okay, Popeye prevailed, he won the battle, that's awesome. But I began to ask myself, but what exactly was all the beef all about? What, every episode, it was this tension between him and Brutus. Every episode, it was this tension between him and Brutus. And as I watched it from my perspective for the first time, it opened my eyes up and I was like, it was over the girl. They were beefing over the girl. Like it was like the age old thing, they were beefing over the girl. And uh, uh, what's her name? Do you guys remember her name? Olive oil, olive oil, olive oil, that's right. So, 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 G, so you, have, you have this guy, Popeye beefing with Brutus because of olive oil. Brutus just wanted his girl. He just wanted the olive oil. He just wanted olive oil. We have Brutus bullying Popeye for olive oil. We have an enemy bullying people for the olive oil. We have an enemy who is abusing us because he wants our olive oil. Olive oil in the Bible is a representation of our anointing. Olive oil in the Bible is a representation of our calling. A lot of times you'll find that you're facing opposition in your life because the enemy wants to bully you because he wants your anointing. He wants your authority. He wants your freedom. He wants your deliverance. He wants your victory. He wants your healing. It's the same old philosophy over and over again that the enemy wants 
your olive oil. He wants your anointing. But the interesting thing about the enemy is not as smart as he thinks he is. Because the Bible tells me in Isaiah 10, that is the anointing that destroys the yoke. So the very thing that the enemy wants from you is the very thing that you can give him that will submit and destroy him. Do you understand that the enemy wants your marriage? You want my marriage? Let me show you what an anointed marriage looks like. You want my finances? Let me show you what anointed finances look like. The enemy wants to try to take your deliverance. He wants to take your victory. He wants your anointing. Let's give him our anointing. Let's give him our worship. Let's give him our freedom. Let's give him our faith. Is this what you want from me? I'm going to give it to you because I am victorious in Christ Jesus and there's no weapon formed against me that shall prosper. In Jesus' name. It's the same story with Lazarus. But back at verse 30, it makes an interesting assertion. It says there that Jesus did not step into the village. Oh my gosh, I want y'all to catch this. That Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they lived in Bethany. They sent word to Jesus. Jesus came on the outside of Bethany, but he never stepped in. So Martha goes and she steps out of Bethany, she talks with Jesus, she goes back into Bethany. Then Mary steps out of Bethany and then she brings Jesus back into Bethany. That seems really small on the surface until you understand what Bethany means. The name Bethany means house of misery and depression. That's what it means. So Jesus receives the message that he's being invited into Mary and Martha's misery. He receives the message that there's brokenness and depression going on. And I believe it's the same message we send. God, I'm dealing with some misery. I'm dealing with some destruction. I'm dealing with some pain. Will you step into my situation? But I believe Jesus is asking us, are we willing to step out? Are you willing to step out of your situation so that I can step in to your situation? I found that when we step out of our circumstances that Jesus will step in. The Bible tells us in James 4 that you draw near to God, then he'll draw near to you. We have Martha, who represents serving. We have Mary, who represents worship. Even in spite of their own pain, in spite of their own suffering, Martha stepped out and served Jesus, and Jesus stepped into her situation. Martha stepped out and served Jesus, and then Jesus stepped in. Mary, who represents worship, she stepped out of her situation. She stepped out with her worship, and Jesus stepped into her worry. By a show of hands, I want to ask you guys a simple question. How many of you have some situations that you want Jesus to step into? Amen. Hands up everywhere. Hands up everywhere. Now I want to ask another question. We want Jesus to step into our situation, but how many of us are willing to step out and serve on July 11th? We should see the same hands. In Jesus' name, we're seeing the same hands. In Jesus' name, we're seeing the same hands. In Jesus' name, we're seeing the same hands of people that are saying, Lord, I want you to step into my situation, but I'm willing to step out and serve. I want to step out and worship. I want to step out and do whatever it takes that's going to allow you to come back into my misery, that's going to allow you to come back into my pain, that's going to allow you to come back into my suffering. Jesus, I will step out if you will step in. Don't forget, at the end of this service, you're going to have an opportunity to remove stones so that other people can experience God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask one more question. If you're in here today and you would say, man, I've, I've not yet placed my faith in Jesus. I've not yet called him Lord. Or maybe you have and, and maybe you've kind of drifted away from that. But you know that today is a day that maybe you've been waiting on God. But you know that you may not have all the answers, but you're ready to respond to the voice of Jesus the same way that Lazarus did. 
If that's you, could you signify it by raising a hand? I just want to pray for you. One, two, three. Hands up. Amen. 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 Keep them up. Keep them up. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for you. Church of the family, I want us all to, to pray this prayer together for me of those who are saying this prayer for the first time. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life. I invite you to step into my situation. Knowing that you are the resurrection, I believe that you died on the cross and that you were risen from the grave. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to pray for you guys before we transition out for the rest of the service. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for, for every individual in here under the sound of my voice. God, it's my prayer in the name of Jesus that no matter what their situation is, that no matter what the enemy has tried to convince them of that is, that is dead and that cannot be resurrected, Father, it's my prayer right now in the name of Jesus that you bring healing and comfort and restoration. God, we know that it is never finished as long as you're involved, God. It's not over. Our situation is not dead. It's not going to end in death because we know that you are the resurrection and the life. God, I pray for marriages. I pray for finances. I pray for healing. Father, I pray that your spirit does and moves and does what only it can do. Father, I pray for serve day, God, that your people have been activated knowing that we have been called to remove the gravestones of others so that they can respond to your voice. Father, the crowd that followed Jesus is the same crowd that, that testified of his greatness, are the same ones that were responsible for the gospel being spread all across the globe. God, I pray that you give your people the courage and boldness of knowing that the small things they do, that handing out a water, that helping clean up a park, that helping with an outreach, Father, is removing stones so that people can experience and encounter you. Father, I thank you so much for your people. I pray that you bless them this week. I pray that you're with them, and it's in Jesus' name. A faith-filled church says amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.